Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Happy spring forward. That was a pretty good good morning for springing forward. You guys look pretty good losing an hour of sleep. Uh, didn't need as much beauty rest as you thought you might. Uh, maybe that's because you're pumped full of caffeine and sugar, uh, but that's okay. Uh, nonetheless, you're, you're here and alive and kicking and doing well, and it's great to be able to worship you with you no matter which venue you're at or joining us uh, online. You know, thinking of what we've pumped ourselves full of to have life uh, today while we've lost an hour of sleep uh, got me thinking of a question that I often get asked uh, as a pastor, and this might be a question that you get asked as we reach Lord willing, reach into our own backyard to reach the 800,000 who do not know or walk with Jesus. And it's this question. Are you a spirit-filled church? I don't know if you've ever gotten that question, but I oftentimes get that question. Are you a spirit-filled church? Now, first, let me, let me equip you that if anybody asks you that question or anything like that question, you need to respond with a question and just say, what do you mean? Are we a spirit filter? Ask them to define what they mean, what they are asking. It will help tremendously in your conversations. That's just a, 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 an aside way to equip you. But when you ask that question, oftentimes what people mean when they're asking the question, are you a spirit-filled church, is does your church practice the sign gifts, the spiritual sign gifts like miraculous healings, speaking in tongues, prophecy, uh, those sorts of things. That's what they're asking. Does our church practice those particular activities? Now, by their definition, and this is oftentimes, this isn't everybody, but oftentimes that's what they're looking for. By their definition, we, Christ Chapel, would not be a spirit-filled church. Because as we've taught throughout this series, we believe that those sign gifts ceased in the apostolic era during those times because those specific and particular gifts were given to authenticate the message and the messengers during that time. So by their definition, we wouldn't be a spirit-filled church because those activities do not take place in our church today. But let me ask a question. Are those the activities that validate whether or not a church is actually spirit-filled? Is that the correct definition by which we should base the health of, the, the, the spiritual filling of a particular church? I understand the activities that they're looking for, but I don't think those are the activities that really mark or define a spirit-filled, healthy New Testament church. You see, I think that a spirit-filled church is not marked by charismatic expression, but rather marked by Christ-like actions. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. 
It's page 911. If you're opening your blue Bible, we're obviously continuing our series through Empowered as we look at the beginning of the book of Acts. And again, uh, Acts is oftentimes referred to as Acts of the Apostles, but it could easily be understood as Acts of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit indwells the believers and fills them in order to magnify Christ, to point people toward Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit filled those believers in that early time. If you remember those 120 believers that were waiting and Jesus said, wait here, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth so that you could tell people about Jesus. That's what was going on. And then the Holy Spirit fills those believers. They begin to speak in other known languages so that the other pilgrims in Jerusalem who had come for Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and Pentecost, who had come and speaking these different languages, could hear the good news about Jesus. They were telling the mighty works of God. And some people, though, said that, wow, these people must be drunk. And so Peter, as we talked about last week, stands up to clarify, they're not drunk. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, telling of the mighty works of God in these people's own dialects and languages so that they would have an invitation to turn to Christ. Remember, that was really Peter's three-pronged invitation. He said, repent and believe. Turn to Jesus, place your faith in him. When you place your faith in him and believe in him, then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and then you can go and be baptized to show your pledge, your allegiance, to show your identification with God. That was the end, getting towards the end of chapter two and where we ended last week. And as a result, verse 41, at the very end of the first sermon Peter preached to the first church, it says this, so those who received his word, believed in that word, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I love, I love how Luke is so specific there. It's souls, It shows the eternal nature of a human being. It's not just 3,000 added in attendance, 3,000 people sitting in a pew. This is 3,000 souls that moved from death to life. Why? Because they had repented. They had turned back to Jesus. They had crossed over from death to life, eternal and abundant life in him. So the church that day immediately, instantaneously grows from 120 to 3,120. This is is a large group. The church is on fire and, and growing. Now, the question that we need to ask is looking at what are the activities of this early church? What are they doing? Because if we're looking for a spirit-filled rubric, rule of thumb, the the activities that we should be looking for if a church is spirit-filled, this is the purest form that you're gonna find. I mean, this church at this time, they didn't have time to argue over what color the carpet should be yet. This is immediately, as they come together, as people place their trust in him, what are they doing? 
And so what I want to look at is, are these early activities of the, the first church, what are they doing that, that magnifies Christ, that, that demonstrates that they are a spirit-filled church? indwelled, sealed, baptized, and filled by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at those particular activities that mark or define this early Spirit-filled church. I'm going to show you how that ties to our history as a church, Christ Chapel, but then I'm going to give you specific applications, and here's why. Because please don't forget this, you are the church. The church is not a building. In fact, you're, we'll, we'll look at this in a second. They are not a building. There is no building for them to meet in. They're not meeting in a building. They are the church. You are the church. And so for us to be a spirit-filled church, New Testament-wise, biblically-based, using the biblical definitions, that means you and I we are going to have to be spirit-filled believers abiding by the New Testament rules here or New Testament marks of a spirit-filled church. So that's where we're headed today. But I want you to look at the first activity, the first mark of a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church is submissive to God's authoritative word. That's the first thing. A spirit-filled church is submissive to God's authoritative word. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, remember the Holy Spirit is always pointing us back to Jesus, always pointing us back to Jesus. And when the Spirit indwells these believers, they begin to be thirsty to hear about Jesus and to emulate his life what did he teach? How did he act? How did he behave? That's what we want to do. And the early church submits themselves to this authoritative word. Look at verses 42 and 43. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, I want to break this down for you uh, first because I, I love the word that is here that, that really uh, everything hangs underneath this, and it's this word devoted. It says that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, this word devoted, when you, when you trace it back, what it means is to give yourself away to. And, and we, we, when you think about this, just take a second to think about it. When you devote yourself to something or to someone, you are giving yourself away to. You are saying, where, where you go, I go, or I submit myself to you. In, in a marriage ceremony, I, I devoted myself to my wife, Jen, actually right, right here on, on this platform. I devote myself, I give myself away to you. So that is what is going on here. But it's not only just giving yourself away to, it's giving yourself away to consistently, or persistently, in fact, can even carry the weight of having courage 
amidst opposition. So giving yourself away to with courage when there's opposition. That's what they were doing when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They were giving themselves away. They were, they were putting themselves under the authority. The first thing is the apostles' teaching. Now, why were they giving themselves away to the, what the apostles said? Why were they submitting to what they said? Well, because the apostles had all been with Jesus. That was a qualification to be called an apostle, is that you had to have spent time with him. So these are the people that they, they did break bread with Jesus. They walked with him. They heard all of his teachings. They watched how he loved people. They, 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 they saw his life. They knew how to emulate that life. And they're passing on, they're being his witnesses to this newly formed church. You see this church that day, they, they had 300 baby Christians that they now all of a sudden have to grow up. And just like a newborn needs nourishment, needs support. That's what the apostles are giving these new believers. They're nourishing them with Jesus' words, with Jesus' life, Jesus' actions. And so they, the, the whole church, all 3,120 of them, are devoting themselves, they're giving themselves away to what does Jesus say we should do? And they're doing this at the temple courts. You'll you'll see this later on in this passage. This is where they were meeting. Now remember, the temple courts, this is where uh, Judaism would go and and, and worship. So this is is Jesus is the new, he's the Messiah. This is the one you should believe in. Now we don't know where exactly they were meeting, but you can see this court of the, this was called the court of the Gentiles where it's it's all open. So anybody could could come there. And so the early church with 3,120 not having a building big enough, this would have been very visible in Jerusalem. They say, let's just meet in the temple courts. And we know that they met in Solomon's colonnade, and you'll see that later on in Acts as we study that later uh, on the eastern side there underneath those columns. You'll see that later on. But this is where they're meeting. It's just kind of an open air kind of thing where they're beginning to tell of the works of Jesus. So they first devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And by the way, Please don't miss what it says here because this is key to what I just uh, set up earlier. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and sights were being done through the apostles. Not through every believer. Not through all 3,120. Through the apostles. So that, that is key, again, only validating what we believe, that this, uh, the sign gifts ceased in the apostolic era. That performing signs and wonders was not normative for all of those believers, nor is it normative uh, today. It's not prescriptive, this was descriptive. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. Fellowship's a wonderful word, and it's going to come back here in a second. And it's this word, a koinonia. And that word means to share yourself. To, to share yourself. It's, it's a fellowship where you're sharing in. You're sharing yourself, but you're also sharing in. And what did they share? Well, it gives a description there. If you look back at verse 42, what they shared. They shared the breaking of bread and prayers. 
They're, they're, they're sharing meals together. They're sharing in the teaching. They're sharing in their questions. They're sharing in working all these things out that they've, they've now learned about Jesus. They're sharing in time spent together. This is, they're, they're sharing personal prayer requests. This is what they are doing so that they grow up in Christ. You see, don't, don't miss this. The key to the maturation of the church was the submissiveness to the apostles' teaching and to sharing life with one another. That, that, that is key to maturing these early believers. And it's been a key for us at Christ Chapel for decades. That first, we believe in the inerrant word of God. Always have, always will. That what the Bible says, God says. And what God says, the Bible says. And we submit to the word of God. Always have, always will. This is what we submit ourselves to. And when we do, that helps mature us. And that's what we are committed to, is your spiritual growth. We've talked about that with Colossians 1.28. That we want you to be presented mature in Christ. And one of the ways that you do mature in Christ is not just submitting yourselves to God's word, but it's working itself out in community, in communal life with one another. And that's why we've always said that life change best takes place in relationships, in small groups, because we all have rough edges that need to be knocked off, every one of us. And if we're in isolation, if we're by ourselves, then we don't know that we have rough edges. We, we think we are shiny and great until we start rubbing up against one another, and that hurts. And so God puts us in community to help shape us into Jesus. And don't forget, Jesus was in community. Jesus himself why? Because he's shaping those other believers, the other disciples uh, around him. And so we've got to be in community as well. So the application for us when we're looking at being submissive to God's word and to God's community, God's people, is this. Be consistently shaped by God's word and God's people. Be consistently shaped by God's word and God's people. Is God's word your sole source of authority? Is this what makes your decisions? Or is it what the culture says? Or is it your own feelings? Or is it your own polling group, whoever you decide to poll, your friends or whomever? This is our sole source of authority. And we, in order to be his disciples, we have to consistently be shaped by God's word, but also God's people. We have to be in relationship with one another so that we are shaped into Christ's likeness. Because you are not, you, you alone do not complete the body of Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ, just like I'm a part. But we all need each other to live out what God has called us to in this koinonia, this fellowship. And really, that's healthiest for you. In fact, there was a study that just came out from Harvard that said that participate, now I'm using, they, they use religion, so just 
Go with me here, though. They say participation in religious activities significantly decreases deaths of despair. What, and the way they define deaths of despair, suicide, um, uh, uh, drug addiction, overdose, and there was one more. But these deaths, when we're in isolation, that's not healthy for us. God didn't create you that way. We need to be in community and be in fellowship with one another. And we have a variety of groups that you can be a part of at Christ Chapel. And you need to be a part of one. And so if you're not a part of a group, uh, we want you to get in one. And the best way to do that is to text group to 24253 right now. It's not going to immediately put you in a group. You're like, I don't even know these people. I, you know? You're not immediately signing up for something. You're immediately going to get some information because we want you to be in Christ-centered community that is healthiest for you and healthiest for our bodies so that we're all submissive and shaped into Christ-likeness the way that the New Testament church was. Second, the second mark of a spirit-filled church that we see right here in its purest form at the beginning of the church is that a spirit-filled church is compassionate, caring for one another's needs. A spirit-filled church is compassionate, caring for one another's needs. If you look at verses 44 to 45, it says, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So you can imagine when these 3,000 people are immediately added to the, the 120, there are varying levels of need. Now, some of those levels of need may have been pre-existent. They may have already had needs when they came into the fellowship. Some needs, though, may have been because of their conversion to Christ, because they left ungodly occupations. They could have been temple servants. They could have been uh, worshiping unknown gods. We'll see all this stuff later on in Acts. And turning from those occupations, they now turn to Christ and they go, I don't have a job. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't provide for myself. I need help. And so the church steps in and says, we will help meet those needs. And it uses that phrase, they had all things in common. That word common comes from, that root word comes from, it's koine. It comes from the koinonia that they shared in, in other things. They shared of themselves. And one of the things that they shared of themselves were their belongings. They shared what they had in need. If you look at verse 45, and all were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now I wanna talk about this just very quickly. That all of the giving and sharing that was here in the New Testament church was first based on the example of Christ. Because Christ gave his life for us. They understood that. Christ shared in his inheritance. It's why, guess what? You and I are called co-heirs with Christ. 
So this giving and sharing that marked the New Testament church when they are a spirit-filled church, this is really based on the example of Jesus, but all of it was voluntary. Nobody was forced to sell any possessions. Nobody sold, it, it says that they didn't sell everything because what you're gonna see is they met in homes. So they still owned property, they still owned their own homes, but everything was voluntary, but it was necessary. It was necessary that they consistently gave to the fellowship to help meet the needs. In fact, the the tenses that are here in these two words where it says that they were selling and distributing, the tense means that it was an ongoing activity that they were constantly looking to the needs of one another and saying, what do we need to do? How can we help meet that need? It was necessary, and you're gonna see an example later on in Acts, I'll give, I'll just, but I'll just give you one. In Acts chapter six, there are these widows that, that could not work, that had no one to help provide for them that need to be fed. How are they, how are they having the money to feed these widows? It's because... They're giving. People are giving to the fellowship to help meet those needs. So in order for us to continue to be a spirit-filled church that is compassionate, caring for one another's needs, your application is this. Make God's resources available to extend God's care. Make God's resources available to extend God's care. And when I say God's resources, I want to start in a very broad sense because I believe scripture teaches us that everything we have, God has given us. That, that, that is our time, that is our talent, that is our treasure. In fact, I was just reading in the Psalms earlier this week where David says, Lord, teach me the, the number of my days. Teach me that I am finite. That will help me live in a way that honors you, God. Our time, our talent, our treasure, everything we have is from him. And so what has God given you that the church would benefit from, that that the church needs? And And I mean that in the broadest sense. It might need your help in volunteering. It might need your help, it might need your time. It might need your specific talent or expertise Make those resources available to God to extend his care. But this example, I will admit, this example is specifically talking about giving of, of financial resources. And there's a reason why, why we are called to give in Scripture just as believers. Uh, first, it, it demonstrates that we know who our stuff comes from. When we, when we make it available to God, we go, we know this comes from you. This is yours, and you've just called me to be a steward of it because guess what? I can't take it with me. So you have given this to me for a short period of time for me to do with it what you've called me to do. So it demonstrates a faith. It demonstrates a stewardship, and it also enables us to see God at work. When God provides for us in amazing ways, we go, oh my gosh, I never knew that. Never knew he could provide in, the, in that way. Well, we never knew it because there was, you never gave God an opportunity to do that. If we just hoard our stuff, which is another reason why we're called to give is because it breaks the grip of materialism. We, we are a materialistic culture and I can fall into it just as easily as anyone else. 
And when we give things away, it reminds us, this is not home yet. You're not home yet. This, this isn't it. And so we don't hoard the things that we have right now. We give them away. And one of the, one of the really constitutional things about Christ Chapel, one of the things that I love is that we cannot go into debt. At Christ Chapel, we, do not, we are debt free. We cannot go into debt in any way. And that's because way back when our leadership believed that if God was in it, God would provide for it. And I, I wholeheartedly believe and I'm so thankful that they put that in our constitution that we obviously continue to abide by it today and we will because it enables us to be free to move quickly and to move in a spirit-led way to do what God is calling us to do. But in order for us to be a debt-free church, to do the ministry that God has called us to do in our own backyard, that means you have to give. I, I, can't, I can't apologize for it, it's, just, it's, it's the community. It's the way that we have things in common so that we are enabled to extend God's care. Jen and I give as Christians, not because we're a part of this church, but because we're called to give as believers. You see, we all give. We have those things in common to meet the needs of those inside of our church and even those outside the walls to extend his care. And if you're inside our walls and you need assistance, we have that because we are a community. We want to care for you. That's what God has called us to do. And then finally, the third mark of a spirit-filled church is this. A spirit-filled church is unified in reaching others for Christ. A spirit-filled church is unified in reaching others for Christ. If you look at verses 46 and 47, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together, this is why I showed you that picture of the, the temple courts, where they probably would have met. But day by day, they persistently met. They devoted themselves to that consistent, persistent meeting together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. I love that. Praising God and having favor with all people, not just inside the walls, but outside the walls as well. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those souls, the suke in, in Greek there. The Lord is saving souls as they do, submit themselves to God's word, as they care for one another's needs, and they're united in reaching others for Christ. I love that phrase that they have there, that they, they had glad and generous hearts. As they submitted themselves to God's word and caring for one another, they had a joy they, they were unified together. It's one of the things I love about our, our church. Another value is that our leadership is unanimous in every decision they make on our elder board. There is never a dissenting vote when we, if we're going to move forward. We, we, right now we have nine men on our elder board. We never move forward if it's eight to one. We never move forward seven to two. I'm not gonna do math beyond that. Because the math's really easy when everything's unanimous. It's just zero dissension. 
We're, and if there, if there is any check in, in somebody's spirit of I'm not sure if we're supposed to move forward in here, we table it and we pray for two weeks and bring it back up. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray till we're all on the same page knowing that we are gonna move forward together. And the glad and generous hearts that are produced in that room, the joy that is produced in that room, I think is infectious to the rest of our fellowship. I think it's one of the reasons why, why most people who attend Christ Chapel, I don't mean this in a braggadocious way, but they, but they just say, man, I just sense the spirit of the Lord here. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord is for the unity of the body. And when our leadership is unified, our fellowship is unified. See, that's why I'm saying these are the marks of a spirit-filled church. Not charismatic expression, but Christ-like activities. Christ-like character. And that's, that's his character. In fact, he tells Paul, he tells him, hey, if, if there's any agreement, look, just be united of one accord. <laughs> Please unify in Jesus. That's what they're marked by here. This glad and generous heart is what I think is attractive to a, an onlooking world, attractive to a community. And people start going, wow, I want that. I want that peace, I want that joy, I want that kind of fellowship. I wanna be a contributing member, I wanna be a part of something like that and I think that, that was attractive to that world outside. But I want you to notice something in verse 47. Look what it says. As they're attending the temple together, devoting themselves, submitting to God's word, caring for one another's needs, verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I love that. Who did the adding? It's the Lord. And I thought, you think about that subject. And first, I want to talk about something we talked about the vision sermon first. It's not your job to save anybody. It's your job to share Christ, but not your job to save anybody. That's the Lord's job. And praise God for that. But the other thing I want you to notice, when we talk about this subject, the Lord added to their number. And I've been thinking about this, and, and I, I can, I've related this to my, our boys. Um, I entrust our boys to those people that I know will care for them. People that I know will care for my kids, I'll go, yeah, here you go. Here you go. And I wonder if, because of the way that this early church was caring for one another, if God the Father goes, here's some, here's some of my kids. I, I wanna add them to that. You see, Christ, I, I want us to be a fellowship that's not only attractive to an outside world, but a fellowship that is so submissive to God's word, caring for one another's needs, that the Father says, I wanna add to. I entrust these kids to your care for you to care for them the way that I care for you. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be unified in. So in order for us to be that spirit-filled fellowship, you have to reach those around you by demonstrating and offering Christ-like community. Reach those around you by demonstrating and offering Christ-like community. Being that attractive community. If you remember in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus tells his disciples, the world, those in our backyard, will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. 
They'll know your mind by the, why? Because the way we love one another is sacrificial. It's saying, my, my resources aren't only my resources, they're your, I, I meet your needs. I, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be by your side. I'm here to support you. That, that's what the world wants. That's what the world needs. In fact, I love this quote that I read by a commentator. The gifts the Spirit brought about in this community realize the highest aspirations of human longing. Unity, peace, joy, and ultimately the praise of God. This is what we have in order to help reach those that the Lord would want to add to our numbers daily so that we can magnify Him, this Christ-like character. And over the next few weeks, what you're going to see is we are going to break this down because I want you to see how we are fulfilling these things on a daily basis. So the next three weeks, this is going to be the last mini-series we do through the book of Acts. Uh, Then we'll just start going through Acts, period. But we're going to take a little rest stop again. And I want you to see how we translate the things that the New Testament church was doing right here in Acts 2.42 to us. How are we being disciples? How are we making disciples? And how are we reaching those around us for Jesus? So we're going to take the New Testament example and contextualize it to our current time period and our current culture today. And so that's where we're headed these next three weeks because we want to be that spirit-filled church that is marked by Christ-like character so that the Lord would say, I want to add to that fellowship. Amen? Okay, let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for uh, what you started. And Lord God, thank you for all the faithful men and women that have carried it on, that have made our church the spirit-filled church it is today. Lord, uh, we give you all the praise and the glory. We only want to be the church that you've called us to be. We want to be stewards of what you've given us, Lord God. And we want to be Christ-like in the way we care for one another. So Lord Jesus, more of you less of us, please, so that we could be the community that is marked by you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.